Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is July 24th. On July 24th, 2005, American cyclist Lance Armstrong wins in a record-setting seventh consecutive Tour de France and retires from the sport. After Armstrong survived testicular cancer, his rise to cycling greatness inspired cancer patients and fans around the world and significantly boosted his sport's popularity in the United States. However, in 2012, in a dramatic fall from grace, the one-time global cycling icon was stripped of his seven tour titles after being charged with the systemic use of performance-enhancing drugs. Armstrong started his sports career as a triathlete, competing professionally by the time he was 16. Biking proved to be his strongest event, and at age 17, he was invited to train with the U.S. Olympic Cycling Developmental Team in Colorado. He won the U.S. Amateur Cycling Championship two years later in 1991 and then finished 14th in the road race competition in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. He turned pro later that year but finished last in the Classico San Sebastian, his first race as a professional. In 1993, he bounced back to win 10 titles, including his first major race, the World Road Championships. That same year, he also competed in his first Tour de France, the grueling three-week race that attracts the world's top cyclists and won the eighth stage. In 1995, he again won a stage of the Tour de France, as well as the Tour de Pont, a major U.S. cycling event. Armstrong began 1996 as the number one ranked cyclist in the world, but he chose not to race the Tour de France and performed poorly at that year's Olympics. After experiencing intense pain during a training ride, he was diagnosed in October 1996 with stage 3 testicular cancer, which had spread to his lungs and his brain. He underwent surgery and chemotherapy, then began training again in early 1997. Later that year, he signed with the U.S. Postal Service team. After he quit in the middle of one of the first races back, many thought his career was over. However, after taking some time off from competition, Armstrong came back to finish in the top five both at the Tour of Spain and the World Championships in 98. In 99, to the amazement of the cycling community, Armstrong won his first ever Tour de France and went on to win the race for the next six consecutive years. In addition to his seven overall wins, a record for both total and consecutive wins, he won 22 individual stages and 11 individual time trials and led his team to victories in three time trials between 1999 and 2005. After retiring in 2005, Armstrong made a comeback to pro cycling in 2009, finishing third in that year's tour and 23rd in the 2010 tour. He retired for good from the sport in 2011 at age 39. Over the years, Armstrong's intense training regimen and his famed dominance of the difficult and treacherous mountain stages of the Tour de France inspired awe among fans and opponents. His cycling cadence, which averaged 95 to 100 rotations per minute, or RPM, but reached as high as 120 RPM, was considered remarkable, particularly during climbs. In addition to being an exceptionally talented climber, Armstrong performed extremely well in time trials. Throughout his career, Armstrong, like many other top cyclists of his era, was dogged by accusations of performance-boosting drug use, but he repeatedly and vigorously denied all allegations against him and claimed to have passed hundreds of drug tests. In June 2012, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, the USADA, followed a two-year investigation charged with a cycling superstar with engaging in doping violations from at least August of 1998 and with participating in a conspiracy to cover up his misconduct. 
After losing a federal appeal to have the U.S. ADA charges against him dropped, Armstrong, while continuing to maintain he had done nothing wrong, announced on August 23rd that he would stop fighting the charges. The next day, U.S. ADA banned Armstrong for life from competitive cycling and disqualified all his competitive results from August 1st of 1998 through the present. On August or October 10, 2012, U.S. ADA released hundreds of pages of evidence, including sworn testimony from 11 of Armstrong's former teammates, that the agency had demonstrated Armstrong and the U.S. Postal Service team had been involved in the most sophisticated and successful doping program in the history of cycling. A week after the U.S. ADA report was made public, Armstrong stepped down as chairman of his Livestrong Cancer Awareness Foundation and was also fired from many of his endorsement deals. On October 22nd, Union Cycliste International, the Cycling's world governing body announced it accepted the findings of the U.S. ADA investigation and officially was erasing Armstrong's name from the Tour de France record books and upholding his lifetime ban from the sport. After years of denials, Armstrong finally admitted publicly in a televised interview with Oprah Winfrey that aired on January 17, 2013. He had doped for much of his cycling, doped for much of his cycling career beginning in the mid-90s through his Tour de France victory in 2005. He admitting to using a performance-enhancing drug regimen that include testosterone, human growth hormone, the blood booster EPO, and cortisone. The first members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, historically known as Mormons, arrived in the Salt Lake Valley in 1847. They immigrated to what is now Utah, which was then part of Mexico, to plant fields, build homes, open businesses, and establish a religious community. Members of the LDS Church had searched for a permanent home since the first leader, Joseph Smith, organized the church in 1830. Many citizens of the United States disagreed to the practices of the new religion, and sometimes they attacked members of the LDS Church. Until 1847, the main body of the church moved several times, hoping to find a place where they could practice their religion in peace. In 1844, President Brigham Young led a group of members westward from Illinois to find a new home in Mexican territory. They hoped to find a place to practice their religion free from persecution. While Mexico claimed ownership of the Great Basin, there were Native American groups who lived in what is now Utah. In fact, they had lived there for thousands of years. When Mormons arrived, they were one of many groups to make homes for themselves in the Great Basin. The first group of Mormon immigrants arrived in the Salt Lake Valley on July 22, 1847, after 111 days on the trail. They immediately began planting crops and establishing homes. Brigham Young came two days later and also started to make plans. In 1848, the Mexican-American War ended and the Great Basin became a part of the United States. Once again, members of the LDS Church found themselves on American soil. As members of the LDS Church built settlements in Utah, their choices influenced the territory's political, cultural, and economic makeup for years to come. Most members of the Mormon Church took a train to Utah. A small percentage traveled by horse and wagon, pulled handcarts, or walked. Many Mormon immigrants came from around the United States and Western Europe, while others migrated from the Pacific Islands and other regions. Not everyone settled in what is now Salt Lake City. Some moved across the Great Basin to establish communities where they could practice their religion and make home for themselves and their children. And finally, the spectacular lost city of the Incas high among the Andes Mountains in Peru attracts so many visitors today and their presence causes so much damage that a limit has been put on their numbers. Hiram Bingham, the man who first revealed it to the world, was a buccaneering American explorer born in Hawaii in 1875. His parents were missionaries and hoped that he would follow in their footsteps, but his youthful efforts to do so made him feel physically sick and he preferred playing American football. Educated privately in New England, he went to Yale University in 1894 to embark on an academic career. He was strongly interested in Latin American history and studied for his PhD in it at Harvard. 
Fortunately for him, the world at large, in 1900, he married, to his parents' dismay, a girl called Alfreda Mitchell. She was an heiress to the Tiffany jewelry fortune, and Bingham used her money to travel in South America. He was appointed a lecturer at Yale, but found exploring far more interesting than teaching. His enthusiasm for exploring extended to women as well, and he took full advantage of his travels away from home. In 1906, Bingham traced Simon Bolivar's routes through Venezuela and Colombia in the 1820s. In 1909, he explored historic South American trade routes and took old one from Buenos Aires to Lima in Peru. Going on the Cusco in 1911, he led a small expedition to Peru in search of a lost city of Vilacamba, the last refuge of the Inca Maco Capac II, who fought against the Spanish conquerors in the 1530s. This took Bingham and his party of seven to Cusco and from there by mule on foot to the small settlement called Mandor Pampa near Augustus Calientes where they encountered a local farmer named Melchor Artega. Through Bingham's policeman interpreter, Artega told him that there were extensive ruins in the high mountains nearby what Artega and his native Quechua called Machu Picchu, meaning Old Mountain. They climbed up to the ruins the next morning through a persistent drizzle of rain. No one else in Bingham's party showed any interest, but Bingham, Artanga, and the interpreter spent two exhausting hours clambering up the mountain to a small hut occupied by peasants who were growing crops there. They greeted the American hospitably, but debuted a small boy to show him the astonishing things close by. They soon came to what Bingham called an unexpected sight, a great flight of beautifully constructed stone terraces, perhaps a hundred of them, each hundreds of feet long and ten feet high. They continued along one of the terraces, and suddenly I find myself confronted with the walls of ruined houses built of the finest quality of Inca stonework. The ruins were overgrown by trees, bamboo thickets, and tangles of vines, and covered with moss, but the white granite walls were carefully cut and exquisitely fitted together, and the scene fairly took my breath away. Bingham was sure he had discovered Vilacamba. He believed that the end of his life, mistakenly as it turned out, that it was fascinated by the mystery and magic of the place. With the great snowy peaks looming above it, returning in succeeding years, he took thousands of photographs. He also took thousands of objects to the United States for study and safekeeping, which was to cause wrangling between Peruvian government and Yale University for years afterward. After the First World War, Bingham was into politics in Connecticut and was a U.S. Senator for, at, for the state at the turn of the 1920s and 30s. He and Alfreda had seven children, but by 1937 she could stand his persistent infidelity no longer and divorced him. In the 1950s, he had a controversial role as head of President Truman's new Loyalty Review Board, which made it easier to dismiss civil servants for communist sympathies. He died in Washington, D.C. at the age of 80 in 1956. The Spanish conquistadors never saw Machu Picchu and consequently never wrote about it. A few other outsiders had seen it in the years before Bingham, but he was the first one who revealed it to the world at large and made him famous. He has a moon crater named after him, and the character of Indiana Jones is thought to owe something to him, but is not highly regarded by scholars. He was not trained in archaeology, his theories were wrong, and the real Villa Camba was discovered by another American explorer, Gene Savoy, in 1964. Machu Picchu is now believed to have been the mountain retreat of the great Inca Emperor Parchitech, he who shakes the earth, abandoned at some point after his death in 1472. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com Lance Armstrong wins seven Tour de France's at History.com 
Mormons settle Salt Lake Valley at ilovehistory.utah.gov and Machu Picchu rediscovered at historytoday.com. The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.